when I have heard some of the leaders in this league in post-game pressers pretending to take responsibility, saying things like, I'm the leader of this team, I'll put it on me if that's what I need to do, that's not taking responsibility. That's letting everyone know you don't really think it's on you, but you're going to take it. That's not taking it. You are now listening to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. That's right. It is The Waggle, and it is brought to you by Sport Clips. I'm Donovan Bennett. I'm with David Sanchez and fans. This podcast, each and every week, is brought to you by our friends at Sport Clips. They are known for their Sport Clips MVP haircut experience, which means massaging shampoos, hot steam towels, and sports on TV. Sports like hockey. Baseball, basketball, but certainly football, the legendary haircuts and the sports. It is a winning combination. All you got to do is go to sportclips.ca, that is sportclips.ca, and book your appointment online. There hasn't been a winning combination in BC, Davis. And I mean, I I don't want to start on a negative, but we are going to have Julio Caravada on with us later calling in from BC to break down what has happened with the Lions. But before we bring him on, I want your perspective. Because I actually was thinking to myself, what situation is worse? The situation in Ottawa with the Red Blacks, the situation on the other side of the country with the BC Lions. And, and we're going to break down both. Don't think you're you're off the hook, Red Blacks and Red Blacks fans. I think the situation with the BC Lions is is much, much worse. Wow. I do. Wow. It's hard to, to figure how this went off the rails so quickly because the expectations were so high. And I still look at the roster and, and see it as a mediocre team. And they're not and they're not mediocre right now. They're they're at the bottom of the league. So why do you why do you look at the roster and say they're mediocre? Just from a talent standpoint, it starts up top with Mike and they still think that Mike I don't think Mike's playing at uh, regardless of what else has happened in BC, I don't think Mike's playing at the level that he's played at previously. Uh, I don't think I'm um, saying anything game changing, but by, by but did you think they were mediocre coming into the season? No, I thought they were. I thought they were gonna. I didn't think they were gonna come in and 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 be the best team in in the West just because they got Mike Riley and Deron Carter. Uh, I thought they would take time to gel, but I did think that they would be. Uh, challenge, they would challenge with with the best in the West, and that's not even close. And where it all, if you look at the beginning, the first three weeks of the season, they lost close games and were competitive, and then they beat Toronto in that uh, foot out of bounds rainy game. <laughs> and then I think where it all, where we really started to realize that this team might be in, in trouble is when they got blown out by Edmonton in Week Five at home. And I think from then on, it's been. I think that was the game. How much of this is the new head coach, Devon Claybrooks? Because you never have a situation where a hundred percent of the coaches from one year come back. So you got to look around. Someone, someone is is in the game of musical chairs. Someone is losing that spot. And do I think Rick Campbell is going to get another opportunity in Ottawa? I'm not sure. I think he should. I think he's got some jewelry. He definitely should. I. D- I think that's a mistake. If they're looking at Rick Campbell, he's done. I think Rick Campbell's done a lot with a little, to be honest. Uh, but I, I don't think if they're looking at there's make, they got to make change somehow, uh, or retool their roster. I don't know what they're doing, but obviously something's got to change. But I don't think it starts with Rick Campbell. But there's two schools of thought when you're looking at moving on from a coach. Uh, either, well, okay, you know what, this guy's done a lot, had a rough year. We're going to give him another opportunity because of his resume. Or this guy hasn't had a chance to do much. This is year one of him taking over this program. This would, would be the Claybrook situation as, okay, as right, a right, head right. coach. So we need to give him more time to really evaluate him. Those are, these guys are on opposite ends of, of the spectrum. Court Chamberlain's kind of in the middle where he has a previous resume. You not think necessarily. he's possibly in trouble? Uh, I mean, couldn't be. You don't think so? I don't think so. No. I I, I don't I don't necessarily think he should, but I, again I say I the chances of you get a hundred percent attendance from the head coach this year and next year slim to none, 
and they're they're not going to be changing in Hamilton. They're not going to be changing in Montreal. They better not. And and the other teams in the West, unless things go real real south in Edmonton, that's a possibility. But but the other teams Edmonton, in the West, Edmonton is going to be a change. You think so? I think so. Yeah. But but we are we are having this conversation on September seventeenth, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Edmonton Eskimos are in the Great Cup. I don't think so. Either. I, I don't. I'm, I agree with you. I'm, I'm half teasing. I agree. Edmonton. Could they, they win? Could they win two or three? Sure, they could. Games in a row in, in the for, month of November. For sure, they can. And I and I think and they have a and they have a good coaching staff and and they have a, a quarterback who's in the top three or four in the league. So sure, and they have a great defense. Yeah, for sure they can. I mean, we're if you think Edmonton can't win a Great Cup, then you're you're missing something. But if you if you can't come to the realization that they're six and six for a reason, you're also missing something. Mm. So, and they didn't make the playoffs last year with another another good football team. You got to remember too. I think of it like this: you got to take use Montreal for example. Cavis didn't have success, but he also didn't have necessarily have the resources. In Edmonton, you have the resources, so True. there's no excuse for not making at least making the playoffs. Who is going to be the quarterback of the Ottawa Red Blacks moving forward? I mean, they've kind of looked backward. They've been moving sideways offensively. It seems like whoever is the backup on any given day is the person that the fans are screaming for at TD. I've always been a believer of this football mantra. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And that you really, really need to say, this is our guy, come hell or high water, barring injury or terrible play, we're riding with him. And I think they tried to do that coming out of training camp, but it didn't go well. And now they've just flip-flopped back and forth between guys. What is the answer at the quarterback position? I don't think it's in-house. Mm. And that's really where we're at right now. And week 15, over the last five weeks, let me let me give you their offensive totals over the last five weeks. Seven points, 18 points, oh. 17 points, five points. Um, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm going to say that's probably around 15, a 15 point average. <laughs> and good. no, it's not good enough. And not only that, you don't see what what anybody will believe is is going to be the future now. So we thought it might be Dom Davis. You thought maybe there would be a resurgence from Jonathan Jennings. I think it's fair to say now that that guy's not in the building. But now here comes the intrigue. This offseason, who's available at quarterback? Well, because of uh, some of the great play from backups this year, it's it's really uh, the plot has thickened. And last year was the big the big year for free agent quarterbacks, with the big three being being up. Uh, this year was a, a, I would say a down year, uh, with only Jeremiah Mazzoli and Matt Nichols the main ones that were free. Now, because of the play of Dane Evans, we have a situation. Um, also, uh, Chris Streveler, he's also a free agent. Mm-hmm. So one of those guys in Winnipeg is going to be available. Is he a fit in Ottawa? Um, do the uh, – also in, into that mix, add uh, Zach Caleros. Or, or James Franklin, somebody in Toronto will also be available. So now you're going to have, and then the Dane Evans-Mazzoli thing, do you go with the East MOP who you know what he's going to do, or the young guy who might be a little cheaper who has proven he's pretty darn good too? Now you have five guys that are, that are potentially, actually that are all better than J.J. and Dom Davis right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to go in a direction outside the building uh, I don't think it's going to happen now because it wouldn't make sense for them. I don't think now it doesn't matter. I think they're done for this year, but I think in the off season, um, one of those four or five guys is going to end up being the starting quarterback of the Red Blacks. Can I throw another name? Please do. Who did I miss? Arbuckle. Who? Oh yes, yeah, of course. Calgary could say, "Listen, give me your firstborn, and we'll, we'll maybe we could work out a deal." Because over here we raise QBs. We raise QBs, whether it's from like a horse breeder out there in Calgary. Pretty much, Garcia, Dickinson, Burris, uh, Kevin Federick. 
<laughs> Shout out to Kevin. It was his birthday last week. I saw on social media. Um, Drew Tate, Bolivai Mitchell, right? Like th- they've always had an answer. They've always had another guy, um, which is why I don't think they'd be looking to make a move because if, if this year has proven anything, it's that you need a quarterback room. You don't just need a guy. Yeah. You need depth yeah. at that position. But if it if it makes sense, I think because they're so confident in being able to raise the next one, I think they could they could make a trade to someone who is desperate. Um, it, it, you you actually looked forward to this upcoming off season. I actually want to look backward. Okay. To the previous off season, because bring that beat back. Well, well, what changed? Uh, not just the quarterback changed. Who's that voice in the ear of the quarterback in Ottawa? In a, oh, Jamie Elizondo. Also changed. So I, I think it's it's if if you are doing a diagnostic on what So you think if wrong, Jamie Elizondo was there that he's gonna he's gonna make up for uh, Trevor Harris being gone? I th- no, not make up, but I think when you lose a coordinator virtually right before the season you're scrambling to put a staff in place the roles in terms of who is doing the play calling yeah. who is doing the the game planning has changed and been fluid throughout the year so the messaging to these young quarterbacks has changed i, I just think it's disingenuous if you're doing a true diagnostic of your of your team and specifically of your offense or your quarterback play if you are that front office and that coaching staff to say well it's it's just the lack of talent. Because then I, my, my, I would say, well, you came into the season thinking you had enough talent at the quarterback position, so that's your evaluation. Look at Montreal, who had to go to a young quarterback, had to go to a backup. Vernon Adams Jr. has thrown for 300 yards four times this season. Look at Saskatchewan, who had to go to a backup literally after the first series of, of the season. Has there been a young quarterback who's been more impressive than Cody Vajardo? They've they've won five straight at home with him as their quarterback now for the first time since 2010. There are teams, and, and you mentioned Hamilton losing their, their starter for the rest of the year. There are teams who have been able to manufacture right. offense yep. with young, inexperienced guys who have been lifetime backups. Fajardo was a was a third stringer for the most of his CFL life. Fajardo's like 44. He's been in the league a long time. <laughs> he has. But he hasn't had any real snaps up until this year. I I, I think you need... But Cloud Bethel Thompson's 50. He, he, uh, he is. He, he is. I might be off by my years a little bit. He might be off by... These like guys have been around years. the league a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I, th- I think you need to rectify that staff and that offensive play calling. Uh, as well in terms of being able to get the most uh, out of your quarterback. Well, uh, newsflash, the BC Lions, they're also not making playoffs. So whose fault is it? We will ask our guest, Mr. Carvada. But before we get his perspective, Davis, you hungry? Uh, yeah, I could eat. As could I. And we got to shout out our pod sponsors at Tums. I'm feeling hungry because I've been thinking about going to a couple Argos games this fall. I'm going to go to some TFC games. Not the porcelain sandwich. Yes, that's right. I'm going to be up in the stands at BMO quite a bit. Uh, my friends were telling me about this porcelain sandwich. Actually, Brody uh, was telling me about it when she was guest. Yes. Appearing on the Waggles, one of the, the feature foods in stadium that she profiled. They roast a whole pig for this thing. Oh, my goodness. So this is what... You got to do, fans. If you're going to be at a game like me, give us a shout out. At CFL is the handle on the gram, on the book of faces, on Twitter. Tell us what your must have stadium snack is. If you get a bit overboard, maybe like have one of those sandwiches and it's too much for you, all you got to do is grab some Tums because when heartburn hits, hit back fast and hard with Tums. Get relief, Tums fast. I think I'm going to need to myself. On the podcast with us from the West Coast, or as Davis would say, the best coast, Julio Caravada. And it's nice that we get to talk to you. We've actually timed it after a win so we can talk positively about the BC Lions. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Hey, Julio uh, refused. We've been asking Julio to come on the show for uh, 11 weeks now. He refused to come on until it was, there was a win from the Lions. So we finally got him on. There you go. There you go. 
go. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, uh, I'm teasing, but it is nice. It's got to feel good, Julio. Obviously, uh, a player there and, and been on the broadcast team for a long time. It's got to feel good for the people out there and especially you guys close to the team to to get a win from a team that uh, you probably feel like deserves a few more than, than they've got this season. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I won't lie, there were portions of that game uh, against Ottawa where the Lions were out in front and I'm almost waiting for something really bad to happen because that's kind of been the way this season's been gone. Um, but uh, as you said, right, it was it was a – it was a good game from start to finish. This team has been playing much, much better, uh, especially on defense. Um, so you know they 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 just they were just very good all the way around. I, I think everyone will will look at the uh, the sacks and and the lack of a sack by Ottawa. That offensive line played much better. Uh, Mike Riley had time to throw the ball downfield, and that was the biggest thing for me. Like this was the really I think the first game that I've seen all year long where Mike Riley looked like Mike Riley of old in the sense that when he has time to scan the field and look for his options, um, he's pretty tough to stop. And uh, I I saw a lot of that uh, against the Red Blacks. You just mentioned the defense, Julio, and, you know, I guess we, we hear a lot. We hear a lot about the offensive line, the lack of protection. Mike Riley, Deron Carter on the national uh, narrative is is always lends to leads leads to that. Uh, last three weeks, the defense given up five points, twenty one points, thirteen points. What's been the difference uh, from the defensive side of the ball? Well, you know what, Davis, you, I think you you know Stoops pretty well, right? And and his system. I think there's a lot of. You have to understand how his system works, and there's a lot of communication, and, and you have to understand route combinations, and, and, and you have to see and, and feel football. Um, they, they just haven't had the right combination, and I think he's finally getting the right people in the right spots, especially up front. Um, they are much, much better. Sean Lemon has made a huge difference. Um, I don't know what it is about being in a BC Lions uh, uniform, but he is – Really, really kind of, you know, made a big difference, I thought, uh, up front. Uh, they just seem to be getting more pressure. They seem to be more disruptive. And then I, I think, too, the other part is their secondary is really, really, you know, as I was saying about road combinations, understanding scheme and patterns and all that kind of stuff, it's really doing a good job of come crashing down on routes and understanding, um, you know, where they're supposed to be at the right time and, and not having those colossal breakdowns like they've had, you know, that's one of the things that's been plaguing this team is that they will play really, really good football for 55 minutes but have a four- or five-minute, you know, just a, a breakdown. A, you know, they'll throw an interception. They'll, a, you know, compound that with a return for a touchdown, and boom, before you know it, you've given up 17 or 14 or 17 points. And they just haven't done that as of late. So they have deserved better in some of the games lately, but they were finally able to, you know, put a W on the board. And I know that makes those guys happy. It's been over, it's been a couple of months since they've been able to feel that. You know, I actually believe that when I look at Ottawa and I look at BC moving forward, the team I'm more concerned about would be BC because Ottawa, you kind of understand their issues. They've got got to figure out the quarterback situation. They're decimated in free agency with their skill positions BC, I had so much high expectations coming out of free agency. If you are a front office staff and you're doing a postseason evaluation of your roster moving forward, where do you start? Because this is a team that I thought was going to compete for a great cup, and, and we're having this conversation, and they're, they're not competing for a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I think that's probably been the biggest thing is that um, there's been a number of guys that have really kind of underperformed. Um, guys that they thought they were going to get more of an impact out of, and they just haven't gotten it. Um, and that starts up front. You know, Ed Hervey's always talking to us about the idea that you've got to be physical, you've got to be dominant up front on a line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, and they just haven't had it, right? They just haven't, you know, Devon Coleman, and no one, and I would never have guessed that after his year last year, what, what happened with this defense. He just, he just never really kind of felt comfortable in it. Deron Carter, you know, uh, Deron's not been a problem off the field. Um, on the field, he just hasn't produced what we thought he would produce. Like uh, when he got here, 
I honestly thought with him and Mike Riley that they were going to put up numbers like he was going to have career year. Um, well, you have to, if you listen to the rap song he put out in the offseason, you would have believed that too. <laughs> Do you know, didn't you make a cameo on that rap video? <laughs> What's that? No, I didn't do a cameo in that rap okay. video. <laughs> that is something I have yet to be asked to do, my friend. <laughs> you're, st- you're, st- you're, still wait- you're still waiting, I assume. Still waiting. I'm still waiting. So, Never give up, know, give up hope. I won't, I, won't, I won't give up hope. Um, but like, to your point, that, 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 this thought, you know, that's going to be the first meeting, right? Like they're, they're, they've, they've already discussed it, that they've, you know, Soup Chung hasn't played up to what they thought that we were gonna, they were going to get. Um, now he's injured, but you know that was a big, big price tag on a guy. And you know they, they just never really, never he's never hasn't really found his groove yet. And and hopefully now maybe with the change and and, and Kelly Bates now leading that troops so that that um, that maybe his play will change. I actually came into this year as we take the conversation from this team to to the league as a whole thinking if I was going to lay money on who the MOP was going to be, I thought it was going to be Mike Riley. I thought he was going to lift the, the, the team in a way that would put him in that conversation with both the narrative and, and the situation to succeed on the field. Given the, the record, uh, that's probably not going to happen. As we stand here today, if you were casting a ballot, who is your MOP? Because if you talk to 10 people in the, in the CFL office, I think you may get 10 different answers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm sure that Andrew Harris's name is, uh, is at the name of that, the top of the, of the list as far as conversation pieces. Um, my MOP, I, I think that if I were to vote, I think it'd be Andrew Harris. That's who it would be for me. Is that, does that surprise you? Uh, Dave Naylor did a piece yesterday, basically polling the media who votes for the MOP and, and did a poll anonymous, uh, for the voters, and, and if they felt like Andrew Harris could still be or they would still vote for him after the suspension, and I think it was pretty large in the favor of no. Um, what are your thoughts about that, Julio? Well, you know, I, I, I've been around Andrew Harris. I, I just don't I, I just don't think that he would have done that intentionally. I think that he, he, he you know, he, he did, I think the fault that he, had, he made was that um, – he just didn't. He didn't do his due diligence and find out exactly what was what was what he was putting in his body. Uh, I just don't see him the, the way I've known him over the years. I just don't see him as that kind of guy. Um, so I mean, that, I think he made a mistake. Um, so, but you know, I mean, he's had an unbelievable year, and um, you know, that, I, I would still vote for him. That's just that's just my opinion. I, I mean, I, again, like I said I don't think he did it intentionally. I think he made a big mistake, but. Um, my, my, I think I'd still vote for him. Yeah, I, I'm this, I'm this, I'm in the same. Uh, I feel the same way you do. I, and there is a large contingent of people who believe that, and there's a large contingent of people who also believe that. Uh, let's take the suspension aside. For the reason for the suspension, people wouldn't vote for him because he missed one ninth of the season. Right, regardless of what the reason is, I think Trevor Harris, depending on on his injury woes, would be in that same conversation as a guy who's had great numbers. But if you're injured, can I vote for you? Also, the issue is his team's record is is 500. I actually think um, the guy who may end up rising above because the 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 votes, if this was politics, are split in the West. I think it might be Brandon Banks. I think he might be the guy who's the beneficiary of it, just because. His team may have the best record in the league, certainly going to have the best record in the East. He's, he's had a great uh, year, um, and, and he's, been, he's been healthy. But uh, we've, we still have a lot of football to play. I agree with that. I mean, the other thing, too, that's been amazing about Hamilton, like, let's think about that, guys. They, they lost Jeremiah Masoli. You know yeah. what I mean? And Dane Evans, is, I know he's, he's not Jeremiah Masoli. He's done a very, very good job. But Brandon Banks has been required to, you know, really carry the load there. Um, and it's one thing when, when you got Mustoli that you have to game plan against, but it's another thing when you, when you go into a game and you know Brandon Banks is the only guy that can really kind of kill you, and everyone's game planning against that, and he still beats you. Um, so, you know, he, he's, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, he's, he's having a great year, and, and, and uh, I, you know, I mean, he's a guy that I, I think in the end would probably, you know, be, be your most outstanding player if things continue. 
And before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't get your appraisal of the quarterback play in the league. We're in a situation now where if you don't have two quarterbacks, you're probably in trouble because quarterbacks have gone down so often. And, and as a backup, you know things are different. You get a lion's share of the reps, and the game plan is built around you, so you are put in this position by your coordinator to succeed. But at the same time, the defensive coordinators are now looking at all your throws. What throws do you like to make? What can't you make? And then they're trying to scheme against you. What is your impression of the the great success we've seen from some depth quarterbacks and also, and specifically in the nation's capital, the struggle of, of, of some younger quarterbacks? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that it's one of the things in this league that drives me crazy is that, you know, with young quarterbacks, and I'll use Cody Pajardo as an example, um, so often we get guys that come up here that have outstanding collegiate careers and they get into games, and if they don't light it up in the first game or the first quarter or first half or whatever they do, it's like, okay, let's move on to the next guy. Um there, there has to be a level of patience. It's a tough position to play. Some guys can step right in and, and have success. Others need a couple of years. Look at Vernon Adams. I mean, he's another guy that, you know, didn't come up here. I was supposed to light it up when he came out of college and, and struggled and didn't really kind of find his way. And now all of a sudden you've got a coach who's, who's playing to his strength, who's game planning his skill set, and you're seeing him, you know, be successful. And the same for Cody. He's finally getting an opportunity where, I mean, you cannot play the position and expect to, you know, these young guys to go out there knowing what they're up against and saying, hey, they know if I don't do well, I'm probably out of here. And that, and you're talking about a, such a small sample size for those guys that they they have to, you know, that's a lot of pressure. So I, I like the idea that some of these teams are, and I love the fact of what um, – Orlando Steinhauer did in, in Hamilton. He's like, no, I'm not going to go up to Kevin Glenn. I got Dane Evans. We believe in this guy. We like his skill set. We're going to give him an opportunity to play. And look what they're getting. You know, they're finding a quarterback that, that potentially could be a, a franchise quarterback down the road. So you need to give these guys time, and a lot, of t- a lot of times the teams won't do it because they're so pressed to win right now as opposed to developing some of these guys. Yeah, you're, you're spot on with that. How much of this is opportunity? I mean, look at yourself, for example, Julio. I mean, you, you know, nine, in 96, you're a Canadian. You're from, from Toronto, uh, went to SFU, and then you're the starting quarterback for the BC Lions uh, in, in 1996. And then it goes almost 20 years until another Canadian gets, gets that opportunity. Uh, there's an example just from the Canadian quarterback side. And how many guys do you think are, are in the league right now, I mean, that are young quarterbacks who, if given the opportunity, can be that guy? And I guess the first thing I look at is the four teams right now, Sask, Hamilton, Montreal, Calgary, that were winning football games and have winning teams with unproven quarterbacks, not franchise guys. So are there, are there, are there other guys in the league that, if given the opportunity, could – also lead a team. I, I look at I, I look at uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson. I mean, look at look at him, and I mean he's he's got a, a, a long opportunity here, and now you're starting to see the guy in I mean that kid control football. Um, so you know what you're 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 absolutely right. There's you mean I I, I look at um, I look at what's happening in in, uh, in in Ottawa, and those two guys there too. Like you know they both have the physical ability. And you just have to show some patience, right? Like, but there's this, everybody wants to win right now. And if you're not doing the job and they're just going to turn and move on to someone else. And that's, that's been the biggest problem. And uh, again, we talked, you talked about those four teams, throwing Chris Strebler. And he's another guy that. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. And, and again, there is no team in this league in all the years that I've been here. And Davis, you can you can account to this as well that I've never heard a team come into the into the a new season say, "Hey, by the way, you know we're, we've got a young quarterback. We really like this kid. We think he's going to be a superstar, and we're going to go with him. We might not win, but we're going to be we're going to be better in a year or two because this guy is our quarterback." No one does that. No one would ever say that. 
because everybody's so hard-pressed. They've got to win now. And, and if you don't make an impression, if you don't do it quickly, they're just going to move on and try to find someone else. And we leave a lot of this great talent on the sidelines because they didn't impress you in, in a half or in one game. And everybody wants to move on. And I think that that's, that's the wrong approach. And the teams that have taken the other approach and given these guys an opportunity are going to benefit down the road with the, with the depth that they're going to have at that position. Understandable in principle, but in terms of putting that in place, it's going to be case by case. I'll give you a case. Jonathan Jennings, guy who you know has had a lot of success in BC, also struggled now on his second team and struggling. How much rope do you think he has left with the decision makers in the Canadian Football League? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a very long rope, and I, and the reason I think in in Ottawa's case is that Jonathan has has, you know, he's had a long sample size, right? So clearly, to this point, if if Jonathan continues to struggle, then you've got to say, you know, we've got to try to find somebody else because. We've given him an opportunity. We've tried everything that we think is possible, and it's just not working. You know, uh, uh, the system's not working for him. Something's not working for him, so you've got to move on. But I think that's a little bit different because you're giving a, you've given him a, a much larger sample size in, in, in his work and what he's done and what he's done to this point. And you're saying, hey, listen, this, he, he, clearly he doesn't have the confidence anymore to play the position, and we've got to move on. Julio, what do you say to somebody who says, okay, uh, the BC Lions uh, spend almost 20% of their salary cap, 15 to 20% of their salary cap on Mike Riley, and they can't win. Uh, the rest of the team's not good enough. Why not in the offseason use the formula that these other teams who are having success are using, pay a quarterback, a quarter, a quarter of that money, one of these young guys, and build the rest of your team. What do you say to someone that offers that for a move of the BC Lions? Yeah, you know, I, I, I can, I can understand that point. I can see their reasoning behind it. Listen, there, there's a, there's a whole lot of teams that were lined up to give Mike Riley the money that he wanted. It wasn't just the BC Lions. So, you know, in this league, and we all know it's a quarterback-driven league. If you've got a marquee quarterback, you're going to give yourself a chance. And so Ed Irving realized that, that he needed that, and he went out and he, he might have paid, overpaid a little bit, but he felt that that's what his team needed. Now, having said that, yeah, you're right. You, you are giving him a, a, a big chunk of that. But at the same time, you've got to be able to, and when you have that recipe, you've got to be able to go out and find some young talent. You've got to be able to find those guys that are playing for lesser contracts that you're discovering. And that puts more pressure on your scouting. They need to have the ability to go out and find those guys. And that's something that we haven't seen. Right? They, 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 I remember when we were talking about this in the, in the preseason, about finding a, a rookie defensive end that could make an impact. I mean, I think they brought like 25 guys through during minicamp or training camp, and they couldn't find one. So if you're going to have that recipe where you're going to pay a couple of those guys big money, then you need to find some guys that are going to fill those holes at a lesser dollar value. And that's the problem that the Lions have had. They haven't been able to find those guys, whereas other teams have. And that's, I think that's been one of the issues. Um, so, you mean, I, I understand that, that point about Riley and spending all that money in one spot, but the other part of that is that you also have to go out and, um, you know, find, find new talent. And that's, that's the name of the game here. You've got to continue to grow and continue to find people. Uh, and if you can't, you're not going to survive. Because, uh, you mean, there's so much turnover now with these, these rosters that you need to find those young, hungry players that are willing to play and, and build a reputation and try to find that next contract as, the, as opposed to going out and giving out big contracts to people that have been around in the league. A quarterback not going to give up on a quarterback. That's uh, understood, and I would not either. He's uh, Mike Wright, like you said, former MOP, franchise quarterback. They're hard to find. Julio, thank you for joining us, bud. One of uh, the best in the league, an analyst for TSN 1040, a pioneer as one of the first Canadian quarterbacks ever, Julio Caravetta, tucked out there on the West Coast, I think, 
the league and the country doesn't hear enough of you. If, if, uh, if you want a, an analyst who knows this game inside out, uh, that's the guy that uh, you should follow. Julia, what do you have on social media? Do you have Twitter? Yeah, I'm at, at Caravata2, so if you want to reach out on Twitter, I'd be uh, glad to talk to you. At Caravata2, he is. Uh, Julio, I, I tell you all the time, but I'll repeat it publicly. I respect and enjoy your insight as much as anybody around this league. Uh, give Julio a follow. And Julio, keep, keep doing what you do and your passion. Your insight is much appreciated. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, and uh, anytime I can help you out, let me know. Julio Caravata. One of the gems of the CFL. Always look forward to catching up with him at Grey Cup. Unfortunately, the Lions will not be at the Grey Cup this year. But you could be, thanks to our friends at Cal Tire. Tires and tickets, a winning combo until October 26th. Score a free pair of CFL regular season tickets when you buy a set of four BF Goodrich tires at Cal Tire. Tickets are valid for any city and can be used in either 2019 or 2020 CFL seasons. Check out caltire.com slash CFL tickets for all the details. Caltire, proud to be the official tire retailer of the CFL in partnership with BF Goodrich, the official tire of the CFL. And we're blessed on this week's edition of The Waggle. Got some great folks telling some great CFL stories and so... That takes us to Paul Woods, author extraordinaire, lifetime Argo fan, who's working on a piece of work, a book detailing all of the great stories from the legendary 1991 Argos team that won the Great Cup. All those great names like Rocket Ishmael and Michael Clemens and John Candy and Wayne Gretzky detailed in his book. And we wanted him to tell us some of those stories firsthand before the book comes out. Well, on The Waggle, we love when we get to talk to guests in person. We had to talk to you, Paul Woods, author of One Ring Circus, the year Canadian football went Hollywood. And there's so many good Canadian football stories. Why did this one speak to you as the one you wanted to tell? Uh, 1991 was the greatest craziest year in the history of the Toronto Argonauts and maybe the Canadian Football League. Um, but the Argos have been around for almost 150 years, which is an amazing thing in itself. And they've had some great teams. But 1991, I describe it as magical, electrifying. They had so many things that happened that year between the ownership, John Candy and Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall, bringing in Rocket Ismail, paying more money than any football player in any league had ever made to that point, winning the Grey Cup in storybook fashion, Lots and lots of storylines. It's an amazing story, and I'm really looking forward to getting the book written and having everybody get a chance to read it. What makes it a fascinating story to tell for me is the perspective that we have from 1991, having a little bit of time away from it. Looking at where the league has gone since, does that change the way you view that time in the league's history and the Argos' history? Absolutely. I mean, the, the league was actually in pretty dire straits back then. You know, it seems crazy to imagine that in the year that Canadian football went Hollywood, the league was almost dying. I mean, they, the Alouettes had left in 87. There were three teams that were on the verge of bankruptcy in 91. Uh, the Argos, the tennis was going down. BC, the tennis was going down. And then all of a sudden, all this crazy stuff happened and built up interest again. And it, it took a while, but now the league's in much more stable footing. Uh, it, people that follow it now who weren't around back then will probably be surprised to find out that it was so close to dying back then. And arguably, McNall, Gretzky, and Candy arriving, and the rocket coming, and all the things that happened that year helped keep the league alive when it really needed it. It's tough to even really consider what a modern-day comp would be like if that happened now. It would kind of be like if Connor McDavid, Drake, and Tua from Alabama got together and were all together uh, in the Argonauts, and social media naturally would, would go crazy. When you looked at all of those characters together. Was there a story that was compelling that you didn't know about, that you learned? John Candy. I mean, I, I knew John was a, was a huge fan of the Argos and I knew that he was, he was a really big presence that year, but I had no sense of how much he loved that team 
and how much he bonded with every single player on that team, everybody in the organization, how much he did for the league. He, he was the chair of the expansion committee. He was the guy that essentially kick-started them to, to go into the U.S., which people now look back on it and say, huge mistake. But in fact, the money that that brought in was really needed at the time, and it gave the, the CFL a lifeline that allowed it to get to where it is to today. And I mean, everybody I've spoken to, I've done 75, 80 interviews for the book, and everybody that had anything to do with John Candy absolutely loves the guy. The players, man, he made friends with every single player on that team. He made every one of them feel, feel good. I, I got a photograph that's gonna go in the book uh, that shows him going on the field to help Carl Brazley come off with an injury because the trainer was helping somebody else that was injured at the time. And you know, here comes the owner who's the biggest star in Hollywood and he's, and he's helping a defensive back off the field after he got hurt. Unbelievable story. John's an amazing part of the story and I want this book to really pay tribute to him as a kid who snuck into Argo Games as a kid and then he got to live his dream by owning the team for a couple of years. So the league as a whole in much better shape now than it was then, but in professional sports in general, there's still challenges. Are there any learnings that organizations could get from that time, that era, that they can apply, or is that team uh, such an anomaly? Well, it's certainly an anomaly in the sense, I mean, I will say in the book that nothing like it had ever happened before and nothing like it will ever happen again. You're never gonna see a CFL team pay more money to one player than anybody in the NFL is making. Now that would be, you know, be paying somebody $40 million or something. Um, and I think one thing it, it has, it, it certainly taught me is that you can do a lot of, I don't want to say gimmicks, but you can, you, can, you can sort of go to sort of extraordinary lengths to try to build up the fan support, but you actually have to build the fan support up over a long, prolonged period of time and make it sustainable. They had this amazing ride in 1991 where they won the Grey Cup and they sold out the Sky Dome in the Eastern Final but it all fell apart the next year and it wasn't sustainable and they ran out of money and a whole lot of things that, that don't end up so well. I think what the Argos are doing now is trying to build slowly and surely so that three years from now there's more people coming than there are this year. Four years, five years, every year it builds to the point where they get that building full every time. I believe that that is doable and it won't take a $40 million player to do that. Let's talk about that actual team on the field. Some people say with that collection of talent, best CFL team ever looking at the landscape and being a fan of the league for a long time, where does that team rank? Well, you know, I always say it wasn't the best Argonaut team of all time. I think the best Argonaut team of all time was 96, 97 with Doug Flutie and, and, and of course pinball was a common thread between 91 and 96, 97 and a few other guys, Mazzotti and so on. But it was, it was by far the most interesting and fun Argonaut team of all time. And it was a powerhouse. I mean, they were 13 to five in the regular season. They won the Eastern Final by 41 points, uh, or 39 points rather, and, uh, and they won the Grey Cup despite racking up the grand total of seven offensive first downs in the game. They had a great defense, great special teams. Matt Dunnigan is a linebacker wearing quarterback's uniform. Uh, and then offense, the weapons between Rocket, Pinball, DK Smith, David Williams, Paul Mazzotti, Man, they could beat you any way you needed to be beat, and it turned out in that Grey Cup game, the coldest Grey Cup of all time, minus 30 at kickoff, they won on defense and special teams because the offense was struggling. Matt Dunnigan played with a separated shoulder. He had to get painful injections. His arms, you watch the replay, his arms hanging down, but he threw two touchdown passes. It's an amazing story. It is, and to me it's a story. It's not a sports story or a football story or a Canadian football story or even an Argonaut story. To me it's a story about characters, right? About human interest characters that are really, really compelling. When people walk away from the piece of work, what do you want them to think about that team and, and the story you're trying to tell? Well, there's no question, Donovan. I mean, it was, it was an incredibly tight team. It was a team with no cliques. Offense, defense, Canadian-American, black, white, they all, they all got along together and they all contributed in their own way to the success. Some of the, some of the characters, I mean, a guy that won't be, will be remembered by hardcore fans, but maybe not by casual fans, was a linebacker named Chris Gaines, a guy out of Tennessee. Uh, a, a big, mean-looking guy, uh, a white guy who was also a rapper. And, he would, and he, would, he would drop these raps the day before the game and the guys would all be in stitches about, about you know, what he just said about tomorrow's game. And then they did this thing called the New Jack, which was they all started dancing. They all put on crazy hats and started doing these crazy dances. And it was, I think, the first time any team in, in football had been that loose and relaxed around 
around you know the most important time of the of the year, the day before the game, and even the day before the Grey Cup, they were doing it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a collection of guys who who all came together, who did their jobs, who did it and had fun, and 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 were there for each other. And um, I think people are gonna are gonna read the, the book and they're gonna go, wow, you know, I that if, if, if they'll remember it, they'll be they'll know more, they'll find out more than they knew. And if they don't know it, they're gonna go wow on just about every page because there's so many great stories. You talked about the frenzy among Argos fans at that time. A lot of people don't remember that the frenzy that was created in 92 and 93 with the Blue Jays was a wave coming off of what the Argos had done. How important were they in Southern Ontario at the time? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the, the home opener in 1991, I think, was maybe the biggest one-day sporting event in the history of Toronto up to that time. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was Rocket's debut. They'd, they'd opened the week before on the road, and Rocket hadn't played that game because of, of an injury. He comes, they come home to play their home opener against the Tiger Cats. Uh, the Blues Brothers are there to play at halftime. Jeff Healy Band did the national anthem. There's Hollywood stars walking around the field. John Candy's walking around the side of the, 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 the edge of the stadium, and everybody's going bonkers. It was, it was a huge spectacle. They, were, they really were. I mean, Sky Dome was two years old at that point, and I think that was the biggest event that had ever been held there. It was actually only a week after the baseball all-star game, which was here, but, but the, the home opener for the Argos was a bigger deal. So selfishly, I'm talking so much about what's in the book. Our audience is, wanna, is gonna wanna know when they can get their hands on it. When do you expect to deliver it to the masses? Well, I have, I'm sorry to say it won't be out until probably the start of the 2021 season. It's going to coincide with the 30th anniversary of that team. I've still got some interviews to do. I'm still doing some research. Uh, the vast majority of the, re- the interviews are done, but there's, there's uh, some big ones ahead of me. And I intend to do justice to this story, and it's going to take some time. So July 1st of 2021 is the date I'm targeting. Okay, well, maybe they can get a little bit of an appetizer to hold them over until then because we've got the story of one of the pivotal moments of that year, the beer can being thrown at Rocket Ishmael, both in print and on video on our website at cfl.ca. So we've got some content for them until 2021. Thank you, Donovan. That Argos team was the best. So many good characters, had a real stand-up, QB, like your boy, Matty D, Matt Dunnigan, who's the leader of that team. And actually, uh, that brings me to something that you pointed out to me, something that I, I suppose you really rate, and that's Bo Levi Mitchell, the way he's handled his play and handled the media. I've been annoyed several times this season listening to some of the so-called leaders in this league in post-game interviews saying things like, Yeah, well, I'm the leader of this team, so I'll take the blame. I'll put it on myself. If you need to put the blame somewhere, I'll take it. Things like that, exactly. It's like those celebrity press conferences after someone has a scandal. If you were offended by what I said, I apologize. Well, wait, are you apologizing or not? Are you the leader or not? When I I hear the leaders of teams making excuses as they accept responsibility, I don't buy it. I see through it. And Bo stood up, put his chest out, and and said, it's on me. And that was the end of it. He actually said, the offense needs to be better. And then he caught himself and said, no, nah, it's really on me. I got to be better. And that was the end of it. And to me, that's a real leader. And I, I appreciate that. So you heard what Bo said to Jermaine Franklin. Shout out to Jermaine. I think part of the fact that he was so candid is because he has the relationship to know that Jermaine is not going to twist what he said. Um, but I also think part of it is Bo is comfortable. He's not looking over his shoulder. He's not afraid. He's not fighting for his job. He has enough credit in that locker room, in that organization that says, yeah, I, I, I can say that I didn't play well enough. I didn't play to my personal standard, and I didn't play to the standard that we have around here because around here we're about winning chips. We're not about just worrying about who's going to get the next contract, worrying about making it to the playoffs. We're about improving week in and week out so that we're playing our best football in November. And I think that was the genesis of what Bo was saying there. When I have heard some of the leaders in this league in postgame pressers pretending to take responsibility, saying things like, I'm the leader of this team, so I will take this. I'll put it on me if that's what I need to do. 
that's not taking responsibility. That's letting everyone know you don't really think it's on you, but you're going to take it. That's not taking it. What Bo said was taking responsibility. It's on me. I got to be better. That's the end of the story. I I appreciated that because I had been annoyed hearing some of the things I had heard earlier this season from some of the leaders of teams in this league. Leadership or faux leadership, half-stepping in terms of leadership or acting like a leader, something that really, really riles you up. It's like it's like your your sore spot. Oh, you noticed that? You yes. Noticed that? Yes. Interesting. I mean, it's fr- it's it's probably from being in lockers where you've you've seen both guys. It's year yes. after year after year, guys who are trying to make noise and be a leader, and guys who are actually with their words, but more importantly, with their actions, actually leading. It's uh, it's very obvious when somebody's faking it. It's really obvious. So when I see it, it's annoying. That that's probably what it is. Is I can see when someone and and your words are just as much. Uh, when I say someone's faking it or someone's being disingenuous, it's by your face, how your your body language, but then also just your words. I could read a quote and also see it. And there is several guys in the league that do that and yeah it, it, it bugs me sure so i say all the time that there's nothing like being on a sports team there's nothing like being on a football team because the guys in the room see that too they 100 the i'm seeing it it's not like the guys in the room. they're seeing it clearer than i am because they see it every day but that's actually my point because the the highs of of coming off a win and celebrating with your brothers or the lows of having to be picked up collectively there is nothing in life that replicates that that's why it's so special that's why guys fight to continue to be in those locker rooms even when their bodies are failing them what does transfer and anyone who's been part of an organization or a business had meetings with different people bring collective ideas you can relate to this everyone's been in that conference room where someone's trying to talk and act like they have ideas, but really they're saying something <laughs> just to be heard. Oh, it's painful. It, yes. Isn't it? <laughs> and so in the same way how w- w- in and around uh. your cubicle <laughs> or in your conference room or in your, your place of work, whether Everybody's you're relating a school right now. teacher or, or, or a firefighter or uh, an investment banker, everyone on their collective team knows that so-and-so in the office is really out for themselves, but they're acting like they're a team person. (laughs) And then there's other people who are really actually trying to lead regardless of who else is listening. So that, that those same microaggressions that you have in your everyday life, in your work life, they play themselves out in, in a sports locker room. Do they not Davis? Million percent. Yes. So good. Yes. I'll leave. I, I have nothing to add to that. Perfect. Well said. Leadership or full leadership really gets Davis's volume up. And speaking of volume, you know what goes great with twisting up the volume on your favorite tune? Twisting up the party with a twisted tea. Don't get it twisted. It's made with real tea and a touch of lemon. Twisted tea is the hard iced tea that goes down easy. So whether it's game day, beach day, or just the end of a work day, the good times start with a twisted tea. Twisted tea. Good times with a twist. Okay, I need your perspective. I need you to set me straight on two things. And we talked about locker room dynamics earlier in the pod. Shout out to Lily Singh. A little late with Lily. Canadian comedian that got her own late night show on NBC. She is the first woman with a late night show that's that's prominent. She's also... um, non-binary she is also a minority and she most importantly is canadian so she represents to me the mantra that this league has of diversity of strength and as canadians we've given so much of our diversity to the comic world right whether it's russell peters or jim carrey or comedic actors like seth rogan or michael Sarah. i say all of that not to just shout out the fact that lily singh has a new show that recently started i say that to say In locker rooms, there's always guys who are super funny. The funniest teammate you played with is? Corey Banks. Because? He's hilarious. No, yeah, Corey Banks for sure. He's, uh, I mean, he's from from down south. 
So he just had naturally like south, south, south. Like he's from Mississippi or somewhere down there. So he just has that. He just has just a natural country. He's just a natural country dude who's uh, who. And he also he doesn't stop talking. It's and uh, yeah, Corey. And he's he he's he's willing to try to give it to everybody, coaches, teammates, the opposition. I mean, he's yeah, he's Corey Banks is for for sure the funniest. Born in Boynton Beach, Florida, but played for Mississippi State. And last but not least, you were known as a player for your play, but also for your swag. Socks up, super high, lots of, you were showing the whites of the socks. You got the, the gloves undone. Uh, you got, the, you got, you got the, the towel, but I'm not sure how often you actually used it for almost sweat. T- almost touched the ground. Yeah. Um, we, we saw some swag and a flex that was next level. And, and I want to talk to you about this because you've been doing a great job covering the NFL as well as the CFL for TSN. You're coming in here off a late night covering a Monday nighter with Browns and Jets. And we're talking about Browns, not just talking about Odell Beckham Jr. and his play. It's what he's wearing. For those who did not see, he played week one, the NFL season, with a, depending on where you're from, a Richard Millet or a Richard Milley, depending on if you're European or North American, watch that retails for anywhere from 190K to 350K. Every piece in it is custom. 350K, that is 25% of Dak Prescott's salary last year. The amount of basically recklessness for me that, that you, you can play with a, with a house deposit on your wrist is next level. When you played, did you have any crazy swag in terms of jewelry or anything flashy that you were willing to risk it all for in the name of fashion? Yes. They didn't cost $350,000. Okay. But I've always been, and you'll appreciate this, DJ, because you're a sneakerhead and you're actually a sneakerhead of this of this uh, variety as well. Air Max, I don't know which year they were, but they were, when I was at, at Oregon, I got... Uh, my senior year, they gave us our training shoes were whatever the new Air Max were, and they were they were freshest. And so when I first got to uh, the CFL my rookie year, we played on that turf in Montreal, and the Air Max were a little bit of blue, and they were white, and they rock with our uniform. And you wear on turf, you wear, you know, turf shoes, which are basically like jogging shoes. But I thought my Air Max with a spat would look sweet. So I wore my rookie season. I wore Air Max spatted because they matched my uniform when they were super fresh. Now I look back at that. That's probably the worst shoe you could wear because it has a air bubble on it, a pocket that's not conducive for cutting. athletics and cutting and probably your health either. But they look so darn fresh in my uniform, and I had to wear you know tennis shoe type shoes. So I would say rocking Air Max. Uh, my rookie season in Montreal would probably be the only uh, fashion thing I did that was uh, purely uh, for the look, for sure. And so there's some young kids listening to this podcast who play the game of football now who have no real understanding of the type of turf you are talking about. Because when yeah. we say turf now, we're thinking of field turf, which is basically synthetic grass, right? <laughs> you, you, your, your mud are little rubber pellets from tires and then little fake blades of grass. And so you wear cleats on it the right. same way you would if you played on grass. And everyone does it because now everyone's high school has field turf. It's, it's, it's that uh, prolific. But back in the day, one, turf was expensive and exclusive. But two, it was astroturf. It was virtually carpet. So when we talk about field turf shoes, they had a little rubber bottom with, with little pellets on the, on the soles of it for some traction. But you played in Air Maxes, which were a cross-training shoe that people didn't cross-train in. They right. just wore for style. You, you couldn't cross-train. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't cross-train cross in them. was too high of an arc. It's almost like wearing, it would be almost the equivalent of wearing a small high heel, really. Like, that's what it is. And to uh, another example of the turf you're talking about, Deej, it's really if you've ever played miniature golf, yes, that's, yes, that's the yes. turf we played on. No BS. Anyone who's never played on that old school turf, that's what it was. It basically was the cement in the big O, like hard cement floor that you'd find walking through the a concourse of a stadium. That with a on one thin layer, one thin layer of of mini 
mini golf turf on top of it. That's really what it was. If you fell on it, you would have your arm would be bleeding. So that's like yeah. So basically, we wore Air Max on on that because it looked pretty fresh. And since since you're talking about style and uniform, uh, shout out or shout uh, down to Kevin McDonald here at the league office and Ryan Jansen, who are still here at the league office, who used to send me letters and find me weekly because I was pulling my socks up. I was pulling the high whites up all the way, and I would get a letter every week, and they would find me every week. Sometimes I would message them and complain or or plead to not have a fine. The rest of the time I would just pay it. But, uh, yeah, now they're my partners and boss. So, uh, yeah. The thoughts of Davis Sanchez or Davis Sanchez's and Davis Sanchez's alone do not represent – Donovan Bennett or the Waggle podcast because we don't believe you should ever violate the rules of your uniform. Listen, you're making all that money back now, so clearly it worked out. This has been fun. This is the Waggle. Podcast.